0: So we crossed a threshold last week. We, we moved into new territory. As we've been looking at this book, this letter to the Ephesian church, we crossed over into a whole new section of what Paul is writing to this, this fledgling New Testament church that is significant in history. We hear about it Numerous places in scripture, including the book of Revelation, when John is writing to them about having lost their first love and commending them on one hand, but wanting them to do better in how they love people, love each other. And last week, we crossed in by looking at chapter 4, verse 1, is what I call the hinge verse. It connects the two parts of this letter together. And he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we've done a lot of study on that phrase, uh, walking worthy, uh, walking worthy to which, of, the, of the calling to which you have been called. That word worthy is the word axios. We get our word axiom from it. It's like being balanced. So the call of God is pretty heavy. But what he is commending us to do is to walk in a manner that balances with the call. And in the first 3 chapters Paul has been telling us of the unsearchable riches of the gospel, his call to us that that he wants to unpack its significance and make it mean something to us. And he he told us that God so much loves us that he has chosen to bless us and he has chosen us and He has predestined us, bestowed on us, lavished upon us, made known to us, gathered us up, saved us by grace through faith. And that what he's doing is taking all of these parts that have been at odds with each other, these people, these people groups, and he is forming them into a new family with every tribe, every race, every tongue. That's what heaven's going to be like. We are going to have complete diversity all in a spirit of unity. And now Paul has taken this second half of the book and that hinge verse gets us into it. And he's going to tell us how to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And he's going to leave no stone unturned. He's going to cover so many things in life and how we live our lives, we're going to feel a little uncomfortable before it's all over. He's going to address things like sex and marriage and attitudes and what motivates you in life and Parenting, time management, work, life, how to be a good employee, how to be a good servant, how to be a good kid, how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband. He's going to talk about your associations in life and who you should associate with and how your finances should be handled and what you spend your money on and how not to be lying but be truth-telling and how to be self-controlled and kind. He's going to cover it all. He's going to bring it all up. But here's the trap that a lot of us fall into when we hear that massive list of moral guidelines, is that we start thinking, Paul has crossed the line. <laughs> he's gone to meddling now. Uh, he is, he's put on the badge of the morality police, or he's like a helicopter parent hovering over us, mandating our behavior. It really requires us to look deeper at Paul and his writings and what he writes throughout the New Testament. We have to look deeper to realize that Paul is not first and foremost mandating do's and don'ts. He is primarily concerned about our identity, who we are, how we see ourselves the origin of who we are, that's what he's looking at. He, he knows that how we act externally is changed by who we are internally, not the other way around. Our identity, our sense of who we are, and more importantly, who we're becoming, that's what shapes our behavior. It only happens that way. Now, that's why I always like to see that the, say that the kingdom of God is not only an upside-down kingdom where the last shall be first, but it's also an inside-out kingdom where we are filled with all the fullness of God, and that there, Christ dwelling in us, changes the way we live our lives. That it first starts with him being inside in our lives before our behavior can ever line up with his word. Amen. I decided I'd amen that. Thank you, Alfredo. I appreciate that. So let's look at this verse, chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, now, this I say and testify. In fact, that word testify means I insist upon. I like that phrasing. Now, this I say and insist upon in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, can we just stop right there? What is Paul talking about? No longer walking like the Gentiles. Does he even remember who he's writing to? (laughs) I mean, he's been writing to who? Gentiles. Gentiles. He calls them Gentiles back in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. He's writing to, it's kind of like if Paul decided to write the American church and he would say to them, I want you to no longer, I insist that you no longer walk like Americans. Now that I think about it, that's not a bad idea. At any rate, I I digress. What Paul is telling them and, and telling us is that the change that has happened in who they are is going to begin to infect, impact, change, and transform how we behave. Maybe I can illustrate by showing this picture of three of my heroes these are Gwinnett County heroes. You know the one on the left, our own Jamie Johnson. My best friend, an elder here in the church, associate pastor, executive director of Boy with the Ball. The list could go on and on and on. I've known him since he was 16. He always wasn't as perfect as he is today. <laughs> the gentleman in the middle is one of the five board members to the Gwinnett County Public Schools, Steve Knudsen. Steve has been getting to know Joey and Jamie, and he's been here at our church. We've met with him, and then he came just last week to Velocity. And the man on the right is Mr. Hector Sanchez. He is the assistant principal of the ninth grade at Central Gwinnett, high school. Now, last fall, you've heard about this maybe. Mr. Sanchez sent an email, an urgent email to the students of the ninth grade, about 500 students in the ninth grade at Central Gwinnett and to their parents. And he wrote to them saying that 55% of the classes were being failed by ninth graders. COVID has done a lot of damage. He's done more damage than even uh, the life and resource that we've lost because of it. Students are being left behind. And we know this because we are working with them every week at Sarah Court and at Velocity. And we are seeing that students, you probably know this, I could, you could ask Rebecca or Priscilla or Pete or any of the teachers that are part of us, Jessica Banks, you could ask them and they would tell you, our students are in trouble. And so Mr. Sanchez said, our students are in trouble, and he sent an urgent email out. And some of the community leaders got this. Our dear friend Alan Hoskin, who is a board member for the Atlanta Boy with the Ball team, he called together community leaders. We got pastors together. So uh, I was involved in the call, and Jamie, and Anna, and Molly, and and uh, and pastors from First United Methodist and First United uh, First Baptist Church in Houston, and and other leaders and community leaders, and the mayor David Still of the town of Lawrenceville. I mean, they rallied the forces. We started talking about what can we do for this freshman class at Central Gwinnett? Well, we can't fix the whole problem, but something that Boy with the Ball has expertise in, and that is connectedness with young people. And we've seen through our Velocity program, which we started there at Central Gwinnett just a few months ago, that you can change people's lives. So we started with 30 freshmen from Central Gwinnett, maybe a few more, but it's drilled down to about 30 Velocity develops high school students, gives them some skills, challenges them, and then has them turn and start mentoring junior high students. It is a brilliant program based on the curriculum of Dr. Michael Karcher uh, in San Antonio, Texas. And this group of mentors and mentees, what happens is transformational. They begin to have greater connectedness with their family and with the school and with the community. And what miraculously happens is a renewed vision for their future. You, Right before your eyes, you see it change. This is the group from last Thursday. This group of students, it's been a high point for me to to work with them. They let me and Tim Yoder, the old guys, come along for the ride. And I feel like I'm learning something every week. And What I've witnessed over these last few months is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, The Velocity team continues to offer a transforming, life-altering message that is basically saying to them, you're important, you're valuable, people are rooting for you. The school board came, sent a school board member. Your assistant principal is fighting for you. This whole team that's standing with you, we're fighting for you. People are pulling for you because we know you can be what everybody wants to be, a superhero. Not like Aquaman or Batman or whomever, but like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr., people who change the world around them. The challenge that's been going out to these students has been, you can change the world. You, Mr. or Miss Ninth grader, can actually change the life of a 6th grader this next fall when you start mentoring them week after week after week, and you can make a difference. It doesn't matter what your circumstances in life are. It doesn't matter what things have gone against you. It doesn't matter if you're even failing right now. You can overcome that and you can transform someone's life. Now, I thought about that message of that students. I I, I I thought about naming them all because I do know them. I'm very proud of the fact that I know all their names. But you'll just have to trust me on that. I don't have time. Uh, I thought about this message that's being communicated week after week with these kids. And I, I thought it's so similar to the message Paul is giving to the church in, 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 in Ephesus. He is, he is communicating a message that is so similar to what's being shared at Central Gwinnett and at Berkmar and at other high schools around the nation. Yes, you are Gentiles but you don't have to live like Gentiles. Yes, you are Gentiles, but you don't have to live in the futility of your own mind. You can overcome and be more. And while deep down every human being wants nobility, we all want to be superheroes in some form or fashion. Whether it's paying it forward at the drive-in at Starbucks or chin-chin coffee or or whether it's saying to a freshman at Central Gwinnett that they could do better and they could be more. We all want that. But for the Jesus follower, we have something even more advantageous because it's not just that we can do better and be more. It's that we have the Holy Spirit within us to make that so. We have the Holy Spirit that actually takes good intentions and shapes us into a new creation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Linda. So let's look at 17 again. Now this I say and testify. Urge you, insist upon in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of your minds or their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know, this is just what sin does to people, to anybody that gives themselves over to their own way, their own waywardness, is that it It makes us dark. It alienates us from the zoe, the God life. That's the word right there, the life of God. It gets us removed from what we were made for. It makes us uh, calloused, hard-hearted, petrified. We lose sensitivity and we start giving ourselves up to just every imaginable whim, hoping it will fulfill us, but it never does. That's what sin does. But what does Paul offer as a remedy? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, that is a capital, that's a small lowercase s, but there's a lot of theologians that think he is speaking of the big S, capital S, Holy Spirit. That it's the Spirit that makes all of this possible in us. And to put on the new self, that word self is anthropos, which is where we get our word anthropology from. It's what means humanity. To put, to take, excuse me, to put on the new self, to put off the old one and put on the new humanity created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for he members for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Oh, that all of Christian Twitter could read that verse. All of American church could read that verse. And be kind. Oh, no, wait. Along with all malice. There, there you go. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Abby and Will talked about sanctification, what it means to be holy, for he is holy. And in these verses, and there's too much to unpack here this morning, but there are two specific metaphors I would want to just draw out. First, it's a school where we learn Christ. A school that we learn Christ, we hear his voice, not merely facts about him, but him. He's not only the teacher, he's the subject. We are learning Christ. That phrase, we learned Christ, is found nowhere else in the Bible, except here. It's found nowhere else, but it reminds me of the prayer that Paul prayed at the end of chapter 3. You remember it when he said, And you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, that's learning Christ. That's the kind of school we need to all be in. Secondly, his metaphor where he talks about this sanctification, this becoming holy as he is holy, is used as a change of clothes, of changing out of one attire and putting on a new attire. And Paul uh, says these things in a way that is so clear but is so common. He's, He's used this language before. In fact, clothing metaphors have been used throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God himself is clothed in majesty and that the priest of God should be clothed in righteousness. And Paul uses this metaphor on multiple occasions in multiple letters to churches all around, the the church in Rome and the Galatians and and also in the Colossians. This is a kind of a parallel passage to what we've been reading, Colossians 3.8. But now you must put them on all away. Put it away. Take it off. Pull it off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, anthropos, the old humanity. You've taken it off and have put on the new humanity which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, I love that language because it reminds me of what God said in Genesis when he said, let us make man in our image. And what the new humanity is all about is putting the original intent of why we were created back into us. I think it's also why Paul said to the Corinthians, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, same word, anthropos, is wasting away our inner self, where the Holy Spirit resides, where we find our identity, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Maybe Will said it best in the video. When we decide up here in our head and then take hold of it here in our heart, then our feet will step where we should because of the Holy Spirit. Paul declares that we are becoming what we could not be on our own. That it is the gift of God that our best intentions couldn't create it. We could get somewhere closer, but we could never get across the line until he did what he did for us, which is save us. And give us his Holy Spirit. But he is saying, you're now in Christ. So take off the old clothes. Take off the filthy rags you've been wearing around. Take off all that's soiled and tattered and worn out. And put on righteousness. Put on kindness. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. Put on who God is and creating in you. Let it show on the outside. Let me ask you this. Today, what are you wearing? Or as they ask the stars on the red carpet, who are you wearing? Are you dressed in Christ? Is he what's motivating you inside and it's beginning to show on the outside? In his righteousness, are you putting on righteousness? Are you putting on the new self and being renewed day by day, a process as Abby said in the video where we continue to press in and he makes it possible for us. This really happens, folks. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of many of you. God not only justifies us, but he is getting us ready by sanctification so that one day, We can stand in glorification with him. God really works the plan. Do you know Jesus? Are you attending his class? Is he your teacher? Is he your main subject? And remember, our way to holiness, our sanctification is not just that we can do better and be more. It's that we have the Holy Spirit within us to make it forever so, amen.